welcome to the Tales of Teaching podcast, a place where I hope you can find inspiration, creativity, and most importantly, someone to relate to. Teaching can be tough, as I'm sure you know, so I'm hoping this can be a space where we can motivate one another to take teaching to a whole new level. All right, you guys, welcome to episode three. How is it already episode three already? I am just thrilled for those of you that are continuing to come back week after week, as well as thrilled for those of you that are continuing to discover this and subscribing, liking, and reviewing. You guys are seriously incredible. I'm blown away. So for this week, I kind of wanted to share with you guys I guess the idea that when you are getting your first teaching job, and this was hard for me to swallow even, you might not get exactly what you're hoping for. And I'll have a story for you, don't worry, um, to kind of explain what that means. So obviously when you graduate with your credential or you graduate out of college, depending on what state you're in, California always makes you do way more things, so that's why I say, um, because I know my friend went to school in Arizona, and you guys just, you just do some Chad classes and graduate, and you're done, Um, but California makes you go through all sorts of hoops and stuff, but side note, or sorry for the sidebar, Um, so you graduate, right? You're so excited. You have, your head is full of all these ideas. You feel like you're ready. You're just, you can't wait to take on teaching students and you just feel like you know everything, which is great. That's a good um, thing to have, right? That kind of naive, innocent look into the world. (laughs) Um, So when I graduated, I was like, all right, let's go ahead and get a teaching job. It's going to be a cinch. Um, And I had kind of quickly found out that it really wasn't. Um, that the time when I was looking for a teaching job, um, there was kind of some funding issues. Um, I had, I think I literally applied to every surrounding district within like maybe 40 miles of where I live. Um, I live in, for those of you that are not familiar, I live in Huntington Beach. So that place is really um, tough to get into just because it's such a high interest area where teachers want to um, want to come to. And at the time, they had actually um, were like kind of losing teachers. And so it kind of really wasn't the best time to be looking for a job. Um, unfortunately, the place that I did my student teaching at, they were losing a couple teachers because of, uh, I think, enrollment um, and funding. And so that kind of stunk because I didn't really get to, you know, move in that way with the staff and a principal that I'd really gotten to know. Um, and so obviously, I started kind of interviewing. I had like maybe starting June, like about an interview a week. Um, Some weeks I even had three. And it was like really eye-opening to me and like kind of almost like, wow, okay, this is going to be tougher than I thought it was. And kind of almost towards the end of the summer, I was like really starting to stress out. Like, am I doing something wrong? And it's really tough because I'm usually a very positive person, you guys. It takes a lot to kind of put me down. And kind of having that, like, no after no after no after no, I was, like, really starting to get down on myself. And I remember um, kind of sitting there, and this is, like, probably the one moment I've had, like, a pity party for myself. And I was, like, on the verge of crying. And I was, like, looking at my 
I don't even know if we were married at the time or engaged. And I was looking at him and I was like, what the heck? Like, is there something wrong with me? Um, I've had like maybe 10 interviews now and it's just like not happening. And I was just kind of getting disheartened, like looking around. I was interviewing with teachers that I've been teaching for like 20 years because with Newport, one thing that I kind of noticed is a lot of teachers kind of transfer over from different districts to get there. And so I felt like I was like interviewing with some like top dog people. And so it was like really disheartening. Um, and I just kept getting no's and they would just say like, you know, like, you just don't have any experience or we're looking with someone with more experience. And so like, that was kind of like the overall thing that I kept hearing over and over and over again. And I was just like, so down myself, like, why can't someone just take a chance? And I'm going to tell you, you might feel that way. And it's really hard, but really, again, all it does is just take kind of one, um, principle to kind of take a leap of faith, I guess, on you. <clears throat> so anyways, fast forward a little bit. Um, I was lucky enough to kind of get an inter interview with a school over all the way in Mount Baldy. And yes, you guys, that is about over um, an hour drive. But hey, I needed a job. Um, I think me and my husband were engaged at this time. And I was like, okay, I got to plan a wedding. Um, we're moving out. We had all this stuff kind of happening. And so I was like stressing and he was about to start school. And so kind of our plan was I'm done. when I was done with school, then it was his t kind of turn to start um, graduate school. Um, and so we were like freaking out and he's like, gotta get a job. And I, I literally like look back at the person that I was and I'm like, I can't believe like how much has changed. Um, sorry for the sidebar. And so I interviewed with this little school and you guys, it's when I mean little, I mean little, tiny. Um, there are only a few teachers. Each grade is a combo except for K, I think. So K is by itself. Then it goes one, two, three, four, um, five, six, seven, eight, and it goes all the way up to eighth grade. So tiny, tiny, tiny school. Um, and so long story short, obviously I ended up getting the job and I remember like kind of, and this school is great. So, but I remember being kind of disheartened, like, okay, it's like not in the district that I wanted it to be. I was hoping to get something closer to home. So I wasn't traveling so far because you, I was traveling you guys over an hour. And the thing that I'm, I'm not going to say I'm a bad driver, which my husband might, <laughs> might um, argue, but I was driving up literally a mountain, and so that kind of freaked me out, especially when it kind of started getting closer to wintertime and the roads would get kind of icy. Um, so I was just kind of a little bit unsure of myself. But in that moment, I just really want you guys to realize that sometimes when you, you might not see it, but an opportunity is an opportunity and it gives you an, a chance to grow. Um, I can't tell you how much I grew that year. Um, I was, and I'm going to, I'm laying it all out there. I'm being honest with you guys. So you can really see kind of where, like, no matter where you start from, you can get to where you want to get to. Um, and so I remember kind of coming in, um, bright eyed and bushy tailed with all these ideas in my head. Um, of course I was nervous cause I was teaching a three, four combo and I don't know if you guys know, but three, four is not your typical combo. Usually, um, four is paired with fifth grade. Um, just cause it's kind of a, a lot of the, um, standards kind of align a little bit easier. So it was kind of really hard, um, it was really hard. I'm going to tell you that right now. It was very difficult, but I kind of knew that I needed a job. I can do this. Um, you can do anything for a year is kind of what me and my husband used to always kind of joke with one another. Um, <clears throat> and so 
I kind of came in um, and literally got my teaching kind of thrown in my face, I guess you can say. Like I thought I was going to have this great classic management. I was going to connect with my students. I was going to create all this crazy curriculum that I was seeing all over Teachers Pay Teachers and all over the teacher Instagram. And I was like, I can be like that and I'm going to kill the game. Um, and I'm going to tell you right now, I most certainly did not. <laughs> and I learned that real quick when I was starting to get kids that were acting crazy. Um, and mind you, they this class was a very difficult class. Um, a lot of the teachers that I worked with was like, e yeah, um, I remember that class. It was it was very difficult. And the tough, tough thing about this school, which it might be kind of one of the pros, is that you're always in the same class together because there is literally, you guys, only one, um, one, two teacher, one, three, four teacher. And then, um, the middle schools, um, there's two teachers and they kind of flip-flop social studies, science, um, ELA and math. So the kids will rotate like they would at middle school. And so if you're in the third grade class, you're with that third grade class all the way through. And so I'm sure some of you guys are like, what? And so, yeah, that's going to kind of maybe pro pull some problems on itself because those kids that maybe bump heads are constantly going to be <clears throat> with one another through all the way throughout. Um, and there's no way of like separating them into classes. So that's hard. Um, a pro though is they're all really close. Like they all know each other. They all know each other where they live. And so there's definitely pros and cons to kind of that concept. Um, but that was one thing that I really struggled with with the behavior. Um, it was really harsh behavior and I think it made me literally the teacher who I am today and so I kind of like my moral of the story I guess is that no matter how tough a t situation might seem um you'll figure out a way to kind of get through it and I'm telling you when you make it out on the other side you'll look back and think wow that really made me a better teacher and I think it made me um, realize, cause I kind of went in like, I want to be the cool teacher. I'm going to be super nice. Um, they're going to respect me just because they like me, which, you know, happens maybe 2% of the time, but you have to definitely have that backbone and that strict tone. And you have to kind of draw the line between friend and teacher. And I definitely struggled with that my first year. And so one thing, if anything, if you're a new teacher about to start kind of the new school year, I would highly suggest there really is no wrongdoing you can do from being strict. The kids are going to love you basically no matter what you do. Um, again, I mean, maybe I'll be, be careful with that. So you definitely want to be strict. Um, but again, you want to build those relationships at the same time. How about that? I'll say that. Um, and building relationships comes really easily to me. So that's the part that I'm, I never stress about. It's kind of more the draw, drawing the line, um, having good, strong classroom management <clears throat> that I do every single day. Um, and so long story short, I kind of made it through that. I had a very unsupportive, um, mentor teacher. Um, I just like was miserable and I was so tired and so exhausted. I was working until like five, six o'clock almost every day. Cause I was like, just trying to like do it all. I, you guys, like, again, if I had not mentioned this in the beginning, the, there was also no curriculum because they were such a tiny little school. That was there. They were the only school in their school district, so funding was, of course, really low. Um, so I had to create my own ELA. I had to create my own math. I had to create my own. Luckily, I think we had a social studies textbook that I was able to draw things from, and then I had to create my own science. And so, 
be thankful because I'm getting people that always ask like, oh, what do I do? Um, how do I look at the curriculum? You know what? You are lucky you have curriculum to fall back on because I had to create everything on my own, which I think is why I'm so creative when it comes to lessons because I had to do a whole year of creating my own lessons. And so now it's kind of nice to have that curriculum as like a backbone to kind of build off of. <clears throat> so again, every moment of that first year has, I think, got me to where I am today. Um, I also had very high um, special needs kids in my class. And so if anything, it kind of taught me how to um, be a good teacher with differentiating instruction and how to handle students with extreme ADD. Um, I had one kid that was extreme autism um, because they didn't have SDC classes up there. They just had like a little tiny RSP pull-out program. Um, and so it definitely taught me how to um, do different behaviors in the classroom. And I here's a little quick preference that many of you guys probably don't know, um, but I actually have a brother with special needs. He has extreme Down syndrome um, with autistic tendencies. And so I definitely do have that in the, my, the back of my book as well because I kind of grew up with that. And so that to me wasn't really so much of a challenge, but it was nice to kind of be able to see how that works in the classroom. And so I'm definitely um, so understanding of students with special needs and, and disabilities and kind of being able to kind of make them blossom, I guess. I have such a little special place in my heart for all of them. And so I think that, again, that's something that makes me a better teacher because of that. Okay, so I'm going to fast forward a little bit because like, I've been talking forever and ever about um, this school. And mind you, I don't want you to think it was a negative experience. It was wonderful. I had amazing supportive parents. The kids were just so sweet. I had a principal that God bless her. She was just so supportive of everything I did. Um, when I failed, she was just so good at like boosting me back up. Like, okay, what can you learn from this time? Um, and they were the ones that gave me opportunities. So that school is always going to have a special place in my heart. I still actually talk to some of the parents to this day. Um, and in fact, last year around Christmas time, um, we had like a little meetup and I we hung I hung out with some of the kids that were my fourth and um, third grade students. Now um, now they're in sixth and seventh grade, which that is insane to me. <laughs> um, okay, so fast forward. So it's about um, oh, May June end of the year, <clears throat> and the district that I'm at now um, was flying positions and. Again, this was a very small school district, so I the pay was just, they were doing the best they could. I'll leave it at that. Um, but it kind of wasn't enough for what me and my husband needed, I guess you could say, to thrive. So I obviously was looking for other positions that were a little bit more high paying um, to make it work. Again, guys, I was getting married, which what is wrong with me? First year teaching, I was in my master's program and we were, I was planning a wedding. I got married that year. <laughs> I look back all the time and I'm like, man, I was like really like scrounging. And so you you guys, if you have all these things kind of in the air, just know that you can do it. Because I look back all the time and I'm, and I know I've said this like maybe a million times in this podcast, but you, it definitely makes you grow when you're in those kind of high stress, kind of scrappy um, times. Okay. So I, I obviously apply for Glendora, which that's where I'm at now. And I remember getting the email like, okay, like, um, we're going to interview you this day at this time. And it was like Monday at 11 o'clock. 
mind you guys, we're still in my school year. And so I emailed the lady back and I was like, oh, is there any way that like I can do a little bit later, like 2.30, 3 o'clock? Um, I'm still working and so I, and I couldn't take a day off. And she was like, no, you have to make it work. <laughs> and I was like, darn it. Like the one school district that I really, really want to work for and like I'm not even going to be able to go to the interview. And so I finally was talking to the lady back and forth um, and the principals were so kind to allow me to uh, do a phone interview. <laughs> so let me just paint this picture for you. <clears throat> I am in Mount Baldy, you guys. So it's kind of like high up in the mountains and I had my phone interview. Luckily, it was during my um, my lunch break. Um, there's no cell service up there, um, and the Wi-Fi can get really spotty. So I literally had to call from my school phone for this interview. <laughs> um, and so I literally was interviewing for my new school while on my lunch break at the school that I was currently at. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background story. I used to stink, like capital S, T-I-N-K, at phone interviews. And so I was like, great. My one opportunity to interview at the school that I want to end up at, and it's a phone interview. And so right away, I was kind of like, ugh, this is going to be, like, I felt like, to me, it felt like everything was against me. I couldn't get the day off. I was interviewing at my lunch period. Like, what if one of the principals walked in and saw, heard me interviewing at another school? That's not going to look good. Um, <laughs> and so interview ended up going really great. And I remember being like so excited, like, wow, that actually went really well. We'll see kind of where it goes. And it kind of had been like a week and nothing happened. And um, my husband decided to plan this like little camping trip because I was finally done with school. And so we decided to take our boat at the time to Catalina. And this, you guys, is probably my favorite story. And I just told my principal, uh, my, new, my, new, my now new principal, this story um, at last Christmas. And she was like, I never even knew that this happened. So, oh, love my husband to death. He's been, he is a avid, he loves fishing, deep sea fishing. So he had bought in his own boat. And um, so he's like, I really want to take you out to Catalina. I go there all the time out fishing. We can take the boat. We, I got all this camping gear. I got a camping site. And so he planned the whole thing. And this is a big deal, you guys, because he does not plan. I'm the planner in the relationship. And so I was like really excited that he like put together this trip. He got all the food. He did the campsite. And so we wake up early, we get on the boat, we're about like halfway there, um, riding in the, driving in the water, I guess, driving, driving the boat. Yeah, driving in the water. And all of a sudden there, it's like, it sounded like picture if someone threw a fork in the garbage disposal. Okay, that like kind of clank, 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 clank sound. And then it shuts off. And I remember looking at him and saying, uh, is it supposed to do that? <laughs> hoping that the answer was going to be no. And he looks at me, starts laughing. He goes, ha, 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 I think we're stranded. And so the way that he said it, I was like, ha, ha, good one. Okay, now start the boat up and let's continue going. And he goes to start it and it doesn't start. And he goes, yeah, we're stranded. And I looked at him and I was like, you're kidding. And we... Literally had to call, like, thankfully he had a radio. And so, guys, we're stranded in the middle of the ocean um, on our way to Catalina. We're, like, maybe, and you could see Catalina, so we're closer to Catalina. And so he has to call in on his radio for, like, a rescue team to come and rescue us. 
from our boat and we're just sitting there like floating around the island and luckily we had like games and stuff to play and we were like we there was plenty of food and water so we were fine with that and it probably was only like maybe two or three hours that we were waiting and (laughs) so the rescue vessel whatever finally comes and they have to tow us back all the way to Long Beach and so they're towing us back and I'm sitting there like he's like so disheartened because like you guys, he doesn't plan things, and he planned this whole thing, and he's like, oh, this is a disaster, and he's like, I really wanted to go, he's like, I'm so bummed, like, all this planning was for nothing, and so (laughs) we're getting towed back, and all of a sudden, my phone starts ringing, and I'm like, this is odd, like, we're kind of in the middle of the ocean, and how the heck do I even have cell service, and I see that it's the Glendora area code, and I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is Glendora calling. And so, of course, I answer, and it's my now principal. And she was like, hey, uh, um, do you have a moment? <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I got plenty of time. I'm actually, uh, <clears throat> yeah, I got plenty of time for you. And she ended up offering me the job, and it was so exciting. And I just remember being over the moon excited. I hang up, and I look at my husband. I was like, I just got accepted to the job. And he goes, that is wild. And I said, why? And he's like, because if we would have made it to Catalina, you would not have had cell service to answer that phone call. And like, we think about it all the time. I'm like, it just really goes to show that like everything happens for a reason. And even when things may seem like negative, like he was so upset about our, the boat breaking down, it's not getting to camping. But because we had the, they had towed us kind of bright near enough to Long Beach, I was able to get service and I got hired the job. And so I told my principal this story. And she's like, what? I had no idea how that was happening. You were getting towed when I offered you the job. Why didn't you say anything? Well, because I wanted to seem professional. I don't want you to think I'm a crazy person after you hired me that I'm in the middle of the ocean stranded. Um, but that's just my absolute favorite story. Um, and I don't think any, I don't think any uh, job offer calls I don't think I, to be, I'm, I'm going to say, I don't think there's a single story to kind of beat that. That was incredible. And then I'm not even kidding you guys. My second year teaching, it felt like I had been teaching for like five years. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, how I wanted to do it. I was teaching one grade level. I had curriculum. Um, I was at the district that my mother-in-law teaches at and my mom. So I, it was just, I ended up in such a good place and I don't think, and me and my husband talk about this all the time, I don't think I would have been able to land there in the grade level that I'm at, with the grade level team that I'm at, with the principal that I'm at, with the knowledge that I know, without going kind of through all the hard stuff first. And so I guess my moral of the story, you guys, is that no matter how tough something can be, or oh, you're like disheartened because it's not the opportunity that you thought it was going to be, um, it might surprise you. And so I look back all the time as to what the teacher that I was and think about the teacher that I am today and even think about how I can even be further and what I will be like in like 10 years. Um, and that's just kind of something uh, exciting. And so if you're a new teacher or you just got a job offer or you're going through the inter- interviewing process or you've been working at the same school for five years and you want to make the change, 
just know that everything happens for a reason and everything will kind of go the way it's supposed to go. Um, um, also, I, I always get a lot of people that I'm like, oh my gosh, my first year, I don't know what to expect. And I'm just letting you know, there is nothing that can prepare you enough for your first year. <laughs> you can read all the books. You can take all the notes that you did from your credential program. Um, you can ask all the questions, and I think there really is nothing that beats experience. And you guys, I even had a great um, experience with my student teaching. Like, there is nothing like having your own class. Um, subbing, I'm telling you, if some of you guys have subbed and you're like, oh, I don't know if this is for me, just know that subbing, too, is basically the worst-case scenario. Kids are always going to be... Um, on their crazier behavior. I'll just leave it at that. Um, I've had so many honest conversations with my students, like, because I was genuinely curious. I'm like, why do you guys want to misbehave with the, when the principal, or, or I'm sorry, not the principal, um, when the, uh, there's a substitute. And they're like, well, because we know that you're not here and we know we can get away with more. And that's such an honest answer. And so for all of you that are subbing that I'm like, I don't know if this is for me. I totally had that thought when I subbed my first day of subbing. I think I literally even cried because none of the kids were listening to me. <laughs> and I remember sitting there thinking like, man, maybe this is not what I want to do. Like, this is really tough. Um, but it's different when you have your own class, you make your own connections, everything's your own procedures, rules, and that sense. And so just know that there is nothing that really can prepare you enough um, than living it in the moment and just learning from that and just know it will get better. Each year you go in, I'm telling you, maybe for like for the first five, six, maybe even 10 years, you feel a little bit more confident in different areas. And so I guess one takeaway is each year, maybe choose one or two things to focus on. I say that because your first year, you're going to try and focus on all of them. And I'm going to tell you, you will try. And you're going to say, I don't know what this crazy lady's saying. I know me. I know I can cover all the areas. And I'm just letting you know, you can try. You might get burned out. Um, but I would highly suggest choosing one or two areas and focusing on that. So for example, second year, I was like, I really want to start off like with a bang with my classroom management because I went, did a whole year of like really trial and error and I knew exactly how I wanted my classroom management to be ran. So year two, bang, classroom management and my kids were amazing and I really saw the effects of like starting off strong. Um, this past year, I really wanted to focus on social studies and science because to me, I'm sorry, not social studies and science. Oh yeah, no, social studies and science. Um, math is so easy for me. I am such a math-minded person and I'm really creative. So ELA is fine when it comes to writing and that kind of stuff. So I wanted to kind of work on my areas that I thought were a little bit weaker. Um, I feel like I always run out of time to teach social studies and science. So I really wanted to make it a privilege last year. And so that is the piece that I really wanted to work on. This year, I'm really going to stick to time management. And what I say by that is, like I just said last time, I want a specific schedule where I am not kind of pushing off things. And I know that's really 
hard to do, but I want like, you know, I want science to be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, or whatever the days that I choose, um, rather than pushing it off like, oh man, well, we really need to finish a social studies project. No, sticking to my time, um, and getting things done. Um, and so I highly recommend kind of doing that because then you become stronger in that area and the areas that you're already strong in, you kind of really don't need to worry about so much um, and kind of give it a new opportunity. Okay, now this year I'm going to dive into this. All right, now that I've mastered that, now I'm going to dive into this. And I'm telling you, you'll get you'll get better because of that rather than trying to spread yourself so thin to cover everything. Um, and so that's, I guess, kind of my final piece of advice. Um, all right, so now we're getting to a section that I think is honestly going to be my favorite part, and that is going to be answering your guys' questions as well as kind of giving a couple shout-outs to those that are doing incredible things in their classroom and they need a little bit of a, a like a, a shout-out because they're doing an incredible job. And I, like I'm sure you guys have heard me say, you don't need a crazy, fancy Instagram in order to be a good teacher. There's teachers out there all over the place doing crazy things, and they are not um, sharing them out there because they are they don't have the capability of doing so. And so the first one that I kind of came across is a question, and this one like I just loved. Um, so it says, advice for a first-year teacher. Who doesn't have access to curriculum materials until the end of July or access to classroom until August 1st. And so this kind of really, like as soon as I saw, I was like, oh my gosh, this was totally me. And my biggest piece of advice, I guess, is as a first year teacher, you kind of really should only be worrying about, I mean, this is what my mom had told me, is kind of worry about that first week and then you can kind of catch up. So I'll tell you a quick little story. When I first got hired, you guys, I only had two days to kind of get into my classroom and get things ready for the first day of school. Um, the teacher that was moving out, like I didn't have the key to the classroom and she didn't move all of her stuff out because she was moving to a different state. And so I was like freaking out. Um, I didn't, and the harder part is like, hey girl, you know, at least you have curriculum. The school that I got hired at, there was zero curriculum. Um, and so I was like stressing. And so I guess my biggest piece of advice is kind of, if you can get in there, and slap up a couple bulletin boards. It does not have to be anything fancy. If I really wish I took more pictures of my first year classroom, I think I was just too stressed to the fact that I really didn't. Um, but it literally was just paper and border, nothing crazy, nothing really that all that creative. In fact, I barely really had space to put up bulletin boards. I think I only had like walls to put up two. The rest, my room was covered in windows. Um, and just kind of really focus on what you're going to do with the kids that first week, for the most part, you're going to be doing like your rules and procedures, your routines, um, the get to know you stuff. So you kind of really aren't teaching the curriculum so much that first week anyways. And to be quite honest, even nowadays, I don't really start the curriculum until really the second week. And even then, it's not really the curriculum. It's kind of like my own way of introducing each of the subjects um, math is probably the only one I kind of dive into just because there's so much in fifth grade that I want to make sure I get started kind of right away. Um, you're also going to be giving the kids your assessments. Like I give a little math assessment to see where everyone's at. Um, we do a writing assessment so I could see everyone's at for the district wise. And then I kind of give them a little reading test to kind of see what their reading level is. So you're kind of really figuring out who they are. Um, 
teaching them through, teaching them your uh, rules and procedures. And honestly, like my mom said, get through that first week. If it is, if you start a little bit later and yeah, (laughs) and hopefully you have a team that you can meet with and they can kind of help you kind of guide you through the curriculum. Um, but don't stress out. You got this. A little shout out, and I loved it just because I feel like this is the epitome of like someone that's just like kind of killing it in your classroom. So this comes from Caitlin, and she says, my colleague is one of the most amazing teachers I've ever known. She shared some of your posts with me and has always been such a good leader in our building. She definitely has me more interested in podcasts in the classroom, and she encourages me to try new technology all the time. She is a pro at using Flipgrid, Seesaw, and Padlet. She will do whatever it takes to make her students um, engaged in learning. Tara Williams, you are awesome, um, and in Clarksville, Tennessee, is so lucky to have you teaching their students. So shout out to um, Tara Williams. You are just killing it, and you're inspiring your lovely colleague, Caitlin. Um, so continue doing you. All right, this next question asks, any, what is the advice you have for prepping for a substitute? Um, so this is something that I really don't want you guys to stress so hard about. Uh, I was a substitute for a long time, so I almost think of it as if I were a sub and I knew nothing about how this classroom worked, what would help me, um, thrive when teaching them? And so I kind of almost try to look through the substitute's eyes if I didn't know. Um, and I always organize everything to the best of its ability. I always have things organized by, um, by subject, by time of the day. So if math is first, the math worksheet or whatever they're working on is first and all stable together. Um, I have my sub plans laid out by time. So I tell my, and this is a good tip of advice, always tell your sub where to find your kids. Nothing's worse than when you walk in and it'll, it'll ta- it starts talking about how to, <laughs> how to start the day. But many times schools are different and you don't know where to pick up the kids. So you want to make sure to let them know, okay, you're going to pick up the kids by the white shed. And I almost even say like, this is where you'll pick them up for every break and every lunchtime. And I kind of explain that, which I think that's helped out a lot. Um, and so I kind of literally lay out what, as soon as a sub walks in, what do I want them to do? Okay. Pick up the kids do this, math time starts, this is how we take attendance, and I kind of almost like lay out kind of our day. And to be quite honest, save that lesson plan the moment you write it, because the next time you do a new substitute plan, you just kind of will just change out, okay, instead of teaching math math lesson 1-3, you're not going to be teaching math lesson 2-4. And so only like the kind of little tidbit stuff of the day-to-day will change. Um, And so that's kind of what I highly suggest. Another thing is you always, I always leave a couple students that they can go to if they have a question. Um, There are those kids that are your rock star, right? The ones that are, they never skip a beat. They want to be the goody, the, your best student out there that no matter, even if your lesson plan flops, they're there to kind of help you. Um, So I kind of leave about a handful of students. I'm like, these are students you can ask if you're confused on anything. They know the way of our classroom really well and they're a classroom leader. And I'll leave that. Um, I sometimes, depending on what the behavior is, sometimes I might say, okay, you might want to, and maybe I'll give a heads up about some of the students, but I kind of really don't typically like to kind of go that in depth. Um, so I leave a couple that will be a good help if they get confused by my lesson plans. Um, and then I kind of, like I said, I leave a kind of time frame of the day. I have everything usually organized on my back table. And one like little tip that a lot of my subs actually liked is, so this is a wood table. And what I would do is I would take a white chalk marker 
and I would just write like little notes next to the pieces of paper and I would just kind of lay the sub plans kind of all over the uh, desk. Like I'd write little messages like pass, um, pass one of these out during science time. Um, this, the students can keep this I want collected, or this is the science worksheet. This is the math worksheet. And I'll like kind of doodle and draw little messages about each of the worksheets, which a lot of my students, or a lot of my substitutes said they really liked how that was organized. So I just really highly suggest thinking of a way to organize your left of your left sub plans. And at the very end of my sub plans, I always leave a blank, well, kind of a blank sheet of paper and I'll write what worked or what students helped you the most what students gave you a problem, and then I ha- asked them to leave me um, kind of a quick little synopsis of how the day went, and I say, give me the good, the bad, the ugly. I want to hear it all. I want to, you know, thank the students that were good when the sub was there, and I want to I wanna reprimand those students that weren't, because I want sh- to tell them that they aren't going to get away, and I'm going to know everything that happens, um, and I, so I highly suggest kind of leaving them that. Subs will normally leave you some type of note, but I just, I, one thing that I, I kind of did like was like, what students helped, what students gave you a problem? Cause then I was able to reward those that didn't, I'm sorry, reward those that did their job and kind of talk to those that didn't. Um, and that kind of hustle the sub that kind of makes me mad. Um, and I feel like that makes you pretty well prepared every now and then, depending on if I'm getting a new sub or not, I'll leave like little sticky notes around the classroom. Like this is how you turn the air conditioning on. This is how you turn the projector on. Um, this is how... I don't know if there's ever some, something funky that I want her to use. I'll even have, um, if sh- say I want her to show them a, like a quick video for science, I'll even leave that. <laughs> so this just shows maybe how anal I am. I'll leave um, the website open on the computer. And so every tab that she needs to be able to use that day, I have already open on my computer. Um, and just, I honestly, my job is I want her to walk in, or him, he, he or her, I've had boys or girls, I want them to walk in and just know what to do and not be lost because I've been there and I know how stressful it can be when you walk into a classroom, you can't figure out the sub plans, they're super vague. Um, and then last little tip for sub plans is always leave more than what you think. You never know how your students are going to plow through the material for the day. And I know my students pacing, so I don't usually go, okay, math is from this time to this time. And when they finish early, I have something to kind of give at them, whereas a sub might not. And so if something takes less time than what you had planned for, they kind of like, ah, like don't know what to do sometimes. So I always leave like, if you have extra time, um, read this news article together and answer the questions. And it's always like, I'm telling you right now, if you guys have those time for kids articles or those those news, scholastic news, I always keep a couple of those handy and I always just kind of throw them down whenever there's a sub because they were so great to read um, with the sub or to leave with like for rainy day activities. And so I just always recommend having those or something like that kind of in the back of the book um, just for them to use. And I know it comes in handy more times than not. And so I guess making sure that you have that, I guess, for your, when you have your sub. Next question says, what are some classroom items that you cannot live without? So again, in this episode, I kind of touched on the one thing you kind of really want to work on is your classroom management, figuring out your style and your procedure and whatnot. So kind of, I guess, once you distinguish that, the few items that I feel like I cannot live without is a good paper cutter. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times last minute I've thought of a lesson plan or something to do and I just need to cut really quickly some items. Um, so if you, and I just bought mine off at Amazon, you guys just look up like paper cutter. Um, and 
it's all over my Instagram. I'll add a link to the show notes of the one that I use. And it's just nice because, especially because my classroom was super far away and I didn't want to have to walk all the way to the stop lounge to like cut a piece of paper. And so it's just nice to have that at an arm's reach when you need it. And I'm not even kidding you how often you will use that dang thing. You will use it more than you know. I want to say, I want to say almost every day I use that paper cutter for more things than I could even think of or imagine. So number one, I guess, would be a paper cutter. Um, Number two, you want a really good stapler. I think Swingline's the stapler brand that it's called, but you want to invest in a good stapler that's going to kind of last with it you through the years. Um, I was lucky and my school gave me a stapler to use, um, but you need that thing probably just as much as you need your paper cutter on the daily, stapling up bulletin boards, stapling papers, stapling anything up on the wall. Um, at a moment's notice, you need that thing probably every hour. <laughs> so I would definitely invest in a um, stapler. Next thing is you want a three-hole punch. Um, I didn't buy one until actually the very end. Actually, I think even the beginning of my second year. And because I, I could not tell you how many times I would like be like, darn, I need a hole punch something or I need a hole punch that. And you'll use that a lot. Again, I think I found mine off of Amazon, maybe even Target. I have, I have to remember. Um, but you'll definitely need a three-hole punch. Um, one that you could literally just use with like your hand. Nothing crazy. Um, so that would be number three. Number four would be, <laughs> and some of you might laugh at me, a personal laminator. I, again, like the paper cutter, cannot tell you how many times I've quickly needed to laminate something um, and it's been there. Or what's nice is I could take it home and work on projects at home, like when I know my husband's not going to be home for the weekend um, and work on things. And it's perfect because you can laminate things about the as big as a letter, a letter piece of paper, which is nice. Um, uh, oftentimes, like I have, when I have a volunteer mom in the classroom, she'll help me laminate stuff and work in my classroom while I'm teaching. So again, I can't tell you how many times um, I have used that. Other than that, I think those are probably the top items that I feel like you cannot live without as a teacher. Again, I don't know if I'd recommend getting all of them right away. I would probably start with the paper cutter and the stapler and the hole punch first and then maybe later grab the laminator, but I can't tell you how much um, all of those items I probably literally use on the daily and they aren't really expensive. Again, look on Amazon. That's probably the cheapest that you'll find um, any of those items. And then I'll throw in one more, maybe a good pair of um, adult scissors. Can't tell you how many times I've needed to just kind of cut things quickly um, freehand. That or maybe an X-Acto knife, which sounds so silly, but X-Acto knife is like the trick of all the trades for when you're creating your bulletin boards. (laughs) So those are probably my favorite um, teacher go-tos that you can't live without. All right, and I'm just going to do one more question for you guys. I have a lot of them, um, and a lot of these that you guys have sent in, I'll probably just make into possible episodes or leave them for questions for future episodes. So if yours did not get answered today, I promise I'll get to it another another episode day um so this last one is do you ever get overwhelmed um with all the data and i'm gonna tell you no um and here's why first of all you have to kind of distinguish what kind of data it is so if it's something like a math test or a quiz or something along those lines that's going to be kind of more reflection data so you're going to look at it um 
and almost show you, did the kids have mastery? Or if it's a quiz, okay, what mastery did they know? What do I need to maybe retouch on before the unit quiz or whatnot, right? Um, and so I think of that as almost like look at it, um, reflect on it, and then change my lesson or my unit based off of that. So that's kind of reflection, what I like to almost like call reflection data. The next little second category you're probably going to have is um, growth data. So that's going to be things like reading or if they know like their math fluency or things that are hopefully going to get better over time. Um, and I don't say you are going to get overwhelmed by this because it's mostly probably going to be the tracking data is probably only in a couple areas. And a lot of schools actually have programs where you can track kind of in systems like our school we use illuminate so i literally just put the test scores in and it'll show me kind of a graph of how the kids did so i don't really feel overwhelmed i can kind of go back and look at that um whereas if like for reading stuff i kind of track that on my own and i make like a little organizational table and there's numerous numerous um things you guys can buy off of teachers pay teachers to help you organize that data a little bit better i personally like to make little data folders for each of my students and anything that i give them like test wise like that's a reading test or fluency or um, the San Diego quick, I'll just kind of throw the results in their folder and kind of pull those out over time. Um, and again, track it and look at it and kind of as a team, we'll kind of talk about it. And I teach fifth grade. So I kind of put a lot of the tracking, the data on the kids. A lot of times, um, whenever we take a test, they'll shade in kind of how they did on their score. We'll reflect on it, talk about it. Okay. What can you do better next time? Um, so again, I'm putting it kind of more on them, not so much on me. Again, I'm on the teacher, obviously it is on me but I want them to be aware of the data as well. Um, and so I guess just kind of distinguish what section it's gonna go into um, to keep you from being less overwhelmed. Is it a reflection data or is it a um, data that you're gonna need to track over time? And I just, a last piece of advice is just have it organized to a way that's not going to make you overwhelmed, I guess. Um, so that's all the time we're probably going to have today, you guys. Um, today was an awesome episode. I feel like I put a lot out there for you guys. I'm Again, I'm hoping you guys have something to relate to for those of you that are about to go into your first year, for those of you that are about to go into your second year. Maybe you're thinking like, oh my gosh, am I cut out for this? Trust me when I say your second year is going to be 10 times, tenfold better than what your first year is. And from here on out, it'll just keep getting better and better from now. And um, for those of you when you're going into your first year and you're like, man, she was right. There are some ups and some downs. Um, just know that you're not alone. And that's kind of the message that I wanted to give you guys today. Um, just again, huge thank you for all of you guys that are continuing to listen. You guys are seriously the best. So I guess this is it till next time. Yes, don't forget to check out the show notes for any of the links that I discussed in today's episode. If you enjoyed today so far, please share it with a friend um, because the more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in and I can't wait to see you guys next time.